The Holy Gospel according to Luke in the 10th chapter. Glory to you, O Lord. Just then a lawyer stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he said, what must I do to inherit eternal life? He said to him, what is written in the law? What do you read there? He answered, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, you have given the right answer, do this and you will live. But wanting to justify himself, he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Jesus replied, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and he fell into the hands of robbers who stripped him, beat him and went away, leaving him half dead. Now by chance, a priest was going down that road and when he saw him, he passed him by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him pass by on the other side. But a Samaritan, while traveling, came near him. And when he saw him, he was moved with pity. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, having poured oil and wine on them. Then he put him on his own animal, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii, gave them to the innkeeper, and said, Take care of him, and when I come back I will repay you whatever more you spend. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? He said, The one who showed him mercy. Jesus said to him, Go and do likewise. The Gospel of our Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. You may be seated. Okay, so normal question time. Who, who's familiar with this story? Raise your hand. Okay, I would say 98% of you have heard this story before. Good, 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 good. Okay, so since you've heard this story before, what is the meaning of this story? Hint, it's not a trick question, it's pretty simple. Come on. Love your neighbor, good, yes, it's simple, right? There's not much more to it than that. So excellent, everybody's got it, and we'll see y'all next week. <laughs> Just kidding, I have a couple things to add. Okay, before I preach, I often read about all the texts that we look at, and there was a few things that I read about for this week that I found a little bit annoying. First of all, when I was reading a commentary on this text, it kept calling the Samaritan person someone who is exceptional. Exceptional. And now, I'm surprised, I don't see you all finding that annoying. I find it annoying because isn't it sad that we think that someone who shows mercy is someone who is exceptional? Yeah, yeah. Okay, so that was the first one. And then my second one goes a little deeper into what is happening behind this story. So before I share that with you, I'm gonna first give you just a brief little history lesson and background into what is going on here. So two weeks ago, and I know we've got lots of visitors today, so I won't make them answer, 
But two weeks ago, I preached on the story of Jesus heading towards Jerusalem. And in doing so, Jesus stops by a Samaritan village and they do not receive Jesus. And does anybody remember who was here, what James and John wanted to do to that village that wouldn't receive Jesus? Yes, they wanted to smite them. Fire from heaven. It was dramatic. It was dramatic. Yes, get rid of all those Samaritans. How dare they not receive Jesus? And now, if you were here, you might have thought, wow, that seems like a pretty intense reaction to this, right? Fire from heaven seems like a lot, you know? Well, James and John are kind of like the lawyer person in our story for today who asks, who is my neighbor? They see themselves as very good and learned Jewish people following Jesus, and they don't necessarily see the Samaritans in this way. And that is because it goes back to some age-old struggles between the Israelite people. Now, back in the day, there was an exile called the Babylonian exile, where a lot of the Jewish people, the Israelites as they were known at the time, were kicked out of the promised land by the Babylonians. And their temple, their main place of worship, this place that they had set up to be the central hub of everything was destroyed. Now, some of the Israelites were exiled, but there was a group of Israelites that stayed behind. And these were kind of the more unnoteworthy people, pretty poor people, farmers, things like that. And so there was a time where there was two groups of people. And when the others came back, they found that these Israelites who had stayed behind were still worshiping and found they could worship without the temple. And that made it pretty difficult because the Israelites who came back, they really wanted to rebuild the temple. And so here we go, the beginning of this distinguishing between us and them, those who worship not in our way. And so we get this fight between the Samaritans, the people who had stayed behind, and the other Israelite people. And so there is some judgment here. They're not our type of people. They haven't faced what we have faced, and they're not God's chosen people. We don't like them. And if we know anything, we know that the people we dislike most are the ones who are just similar to us enough, but different in certain ways. If anyone has ever disliked anyone a part of a different denomination because they're not doing it the right way, yeah, you might understand. So that's the history behind this. That's why the Samaritans are kind of those no good people. So back to what we were looking at in our passage for today. Throughout time, there are many scholars and rabbis who try to understand this story of the Good Samaritan. And because of all the judgment against Samaritans being no good, very bad people, they asked, how could someone from Samaria be good? They're bad people who don't worship the way we worship. They don't follow the laws. Well, one answer that someone cooked up was that that man on the side of the road, the one who is bloody and beaten and left for dead, well, he must have been a Samaritan too i.e. the Samaritan would have just been helping 
another Samaritan. That's the only explanation there could be, right? Okay, so here's where we come to the real problem within those interpretations of this text. And they might seem just a little bit familiar to what we experience today in our own judgments. Both the notion that the Samaritan is someone who is exceptional for showing mercy and the attempt to write off a story with some reason why a Samaritan or someone we think is the worst type of person would help someone else. And now if either of those things maybe don't strike you in an idea that you dislike Samaritans, but maybe somebody else, then I, I think we need to come back to the importance of Jesus' story and that simplicity of what Jesus teaches us. Jesus begins the story of the Good Samaritan because someone asks him, Jesus, what is your opinion of the law? What do I have to do to be good enough to have life? And Jesus responds with a question. Well, what's the greatest commandment? What is written in the law? Well, love the Lord your God with all your strength and might and love your neighbor as yourself. And so perhaps the man's question about what it means to have life might be connected with the story of the neighbor. Because then the man has a follow-up question. Who is my neighbor? And now it's the time for the reckoning. Your neighbor is someone you don't like. It's someone you least expect. And who in this story proves to be the one who actually loves their neighbor? It's not the lawyer. It's the Samaritan. Yes, good job, guys. <laughs> and so when the lawyer talks to Jesus, the story should transform him. He should attain life by loving his neighbor with mercy. The beginning and the ending of the story are connected. To have life of any kind means to know God, and to know God means to love your neighbor. It is as simple and as complicated as that. It's the answer that all of you know and that you gave me at the beginning of this sermon. And so your neighbor could be anyone, anyone. But our text teaches us something else. Our neighbor is especially someone who needs our mercy. That is the other point. That is the lesson. You see, the Samaritan doesn't stop by the side of the road and ask, Sir, which town are you from? Are we from the same region? Because then I'll help you. He doesn't say, Sir, please tell me what political signs are in your front yard, because then I will help you. No. None of that matters. That's not a part of the story. Jesus is not saying that if you are a good neighbor, you only help those who look like you, who are from the same region as you. For that would be a big problem. The story's meaning calls us to love those who we don't want to have mercy for just like the lawyer doesn't want to have mercy for the Samaritan. But the problem is that we are often like that lawyer. We love to dislike somebody. 
We love to have a good enemy. We'd rather God just wipe out those Samaritans in our lives rather than be convinced that maybe they know a thing or two about loving God. We don't want to see the best in people, especially people who we believe are truly the worst. And so we have to ask, gosh, how did we get this way? Why do we think the Samaritan's mercy is exceptional? Why do we want to find a reason as humans as to why they would never help somebody who's different than us? Why is our first instinct doubt, judgment, and persecution instead of mercy and understanding, love and goodwill? When my youngest nephew was here the other week, we had this really great rhythm of he would ride his bike and I would run with him. And when we got back to my house one day, he goes, I'm just going to park my bike right out front here. And I said, hmm, Corin, do you think that's a good idea? You see, he has this brand new bike. It's purple. It's sparkly. It has these great tassels coming from the handlebars. And I said, I don't know if that's a good idea. I don't want somebody to steal your bike. And he was so confused. He said, well, it's in front of your house. They know it belongs here. Why would anybody steal it? Why would anyone do that? Well, I then had to explain, not very well, might I add, why people steal things. But I felt terrible. I felt terrible knowing that he had this beautiful, innocent view of life and never believing that anyone would do anything wrong. And I was instilling something in him about the world. We are not children. We often do think the worst in people. And in this day and age, sometimes it is even justified. When I talked to my mom last week after that shooting at the 4th of July parade in Chicago, she said, it just makes you so afraid to go anywhere anymore. And I had to agree with her. It is scary. The world is scary. We know that bad things happen. We know that there are people we don't like, and sometimes it's for a good reason. Maybe the priest and the Levite who passed by the beaten man on the side of the road had a good reason to pass him by. Maybe they were afraid of him. Maybe the very good and learned Jewish lawyer man had a bad experience with a Samaritan, and he held those convictions and those opinions based upon that. But Jesus still tells us this story. Jesus still tells us this story about what it means to be a good neighbor. And that's who we are called to be, despite whatever we are told within this world. The Good Samaritan was a good neighbor. He was someone who follows Jesus because he was not afraid to be the one who cared for his neighbor. He was willing to have mercy over judgment. And so, my friends, you all know what this passage is about. You know you are called to love your neighbor. But now it's time to be sent forth into the world, to be people who show that mercy is not exceptional, it is the norm and to be people who show that love can be shown to anyone who is in need, 
no questions asked. So this is how we have life, dear people. This is how we show that we love God, by loving our neighbor. Amen.